Hi, I'm Susan Swain, host of C-SPAN's Q&A. We're taking a break for a few weeks in August, and we'd like to use this opportunity to introduce you to some of C-SPAN's other podcasts. Booknotes Plus offers listeners nonfiction books and authors with C-SPAN's Brian Lamb. We've selected a conversation with historian Eleanor Herman, who sat down to talk about her book on presidential sex scandals, appropriately titled Sex with Presidents. Eleanor Herman writes books about sex, sex with kings, sex with the queen, and recently, sex with presidents, U.S. presidents. However, out of the 45 men who have been president of the United States, only nine get special attention from Ms. Herman in her book published in 2020. She talked about a few of those presidents in our conversation. Eleanor Herman, your book, Sex with Presidents, has this quote that LBJ was the last U.S. president whose blanket or no, I'm sorry, blatant marital infidelities would be concealed by the press. What was the significance of that? Well, it was very significant because um, the public for many years had no idea that the presidents did have extramarital uh, affairs. It, it actually started off uh, in the late 17 and, and throughout the 1800s that the press was very muckraking the way they are now. And that's how come we know about Alexander Hamilton's affair with a blackmailing prostitute. We know about Thomas Jefferson's relationship with his enslaved woman. We know about Grover Cleveland's uh, rape uh, and impregnating uh, a young woman uh, because the press covered it. And then around 1900, everything sort of changed, and journalism went from being a kind of trade, a rather lowly thing to do, to being a, a respected career. Uh, journalists became gentlemen, and gentlemen didn't report on other gentlemen's love affairs. The National Press Club got started and had its own code of ethics. So even though journalists in D.C. were well aware of Woodrow Wilson's love affairs, Warren Harding's hundreds of women, FDR, JFK, LBJ, they, they just didn't report it. Um, and then what happened was Watergate. And suddenly the, the presidency was no longer to be uh, respected and protected. It was to be investigated. And, and that's what we've had since then. In reading your book, I noticed that you special focus on about nine of the uh, 45 men that have been president. But the, the president that got the most pages was FDR, 30, 32 pages. Why? Oh, you sat there and counted. My goodness. Yeah. Why did he um, why did he get all the why did he get the most attention by one page? Warren Harding was thirty one. <laughs> and JFK probably had the most women. He he and Warren would would have been vying for the top prize. Um FDR was a fascinating character. His, you know, his marriage to Eleanor was fascinating. Uh, she was a, a, a very interesting woman. She had an affair of her own with a woman. Um, he did so much for the country in terms of bringing it out of uh, you know, the Depression and through World War II almost to the bitter end. I imagine that he got the most uh, pages because just the whole story was, uh, was very compelling. So what was the most important part of it that we as 
citizens. Of course, I was alive back then, but not conscience. Conscious. Uh, what is it that the public didn't know about him when he was president for those most of the four terms? Um, well, they didn't know a couple of things. For, uh, for one thing, they didn't know that he was um, totally paralyzed uh, in his legs. He he fashioned for himself uh, braces that he wore under his suit pants. And if he was leaning on someone, often his older son, he could kind of roll his legs forward uh, from the hips. And it looked like he was lame. The American public knew that he had had polio and there was some lameness there, but they, they didn't know that he, he was truly wheelchair bound. Um, at, at the time, uh, handicapped people were not elected for public office. You know, the, the public thought you would be unfit for, for anything just because your legs didn't move. So, so he kept that quite secret. And the press uh, there again, they, they respected his wishes and there were no um, photographs uh, published of him in his in his wheelchair. Um, the other thing the public didn't know was that he and Eleanor um, really didn't have much of a of a marriage anymore. They hadn't had sex since uh, World War One, um, and uh, he had uh, a lifetime love affair with Eleanor's former social secretary, the, the lovely Lucy Mercer, and then he also was having an affair with his White House. Secretary Missy Lehand, who would wander into his bedroom uh, at night uh, saying she was there to take dictation, but the household uh, staff couldn't help but notice she had no steno pad in hand. So, so there was much about him that uh, Americans did not know. You called Grover Cleveland a rapist. Yes, I, I think that is clear what happened. Um, he, uh, when he was uh, sheriff of, of Buffalo, he had been interested in a 33-year-old widow, a, a beautiful woman, um, and uh, he apparently raped her one night, impregnated her, and then took the baby away from her and uh, put her into uh, an insane uh, asylum. I imagine it was so that no one would ever believe her story. How did he get elected president with that in his background? Um, well, 10 years later, he had been a very successful uh, mayor of Buffalo and governor of the state of New York. And he, he there's something there that doesn't quite make sense to me. He was so totally incorrupt. You know, he battled Tammany Hall and all of these corrupt people who were stealing from the taxpayer and enriching themselves. And he had um, a, a reputation for being extraordinarily honest. Um, and you know, perhaps this rape was something that was totally out of his character. I, I, I'm not quite sure what happened. But when he was um, nominated uh, as the uh, Democratic candidate in 1884, the story comes out about what he had done to this poor woman, M Maria Halpin. Um, and, you know, people who were supporters of Cleveland said she was a, a prostitute, a whore. She was sleeping with all these these men. They tried to blame it on his deceased friend. Uh, and, and finally, she came out and she told the whole story. I mean, she'd been leading a very quiet life, and this was the last thing she wanted. Uh, and oddly, Cleveland never denied it. He actually said that she, you know, she was not a whore. She had not been sleeping with his friend. He he took responsibility for for this child, made sure it had a a, a good home. So, 
um, there, when all of this hit the press, the question was, how would Americans vote? This was the height of the Victorian era. So would they vote for uh, the rapist who was going to save the taxpayers' money, or would they vote for his opponent, the Republican candidate James uh, Blaine, who was a, uh, a faithful husband and good family man who, who had uh, over various uh, years robbed the country blind in a series of corrupt deals. And uh, bear in mind that the, the uh, women were not allowed to vote in 1884, which probably would have changed the results. But I think um, most voters chose Cleveland because he had been uh, an honest public official, and they didn't seem to care too much for the allegations of rape. What was your book, Sex with Kings, about? <laughs> that was my first book, uh, and that was a fun one, too. It examined the uh, lives of royal European mistresses in the centuries. We're talking 15, 16, 1700s, where women who were bright um, had uh, certain you know, political skills, wanted to earn a good living for themselves, really had no path to do that unless they slept with the king. So it was a kind of constant beauty contest at court. Who is going to replace the king's uh, official mistress and become the duchess and have political power and you know earn all this money? So, so that was a, an awful lot of fun. How about sex with the queen? And which queen was it? Oh, there were uh, quite a, a few queens who had uh, love affairs. And um, in some of the cases, the, the kings didn't particularly care uh, if, for instance, they already had a couple of uh, children with the queen. And, you know, some of, the, some of the kings were gay or they were very much in love with their mistresses. Um, there was a gay king of uh, Sweden, Gustavus Adolphus, in the late 1700s, who apparently could not, he, he couldn't have sex with a woman. He found it so disgusting. So he was very glad. Uh, he actually encouraged his wife to have an affair with a general, and she popped out two boys, and, you know, the kingdom was safe from, from rebellion. So um, I, I wanted to, you know, I always like looking at the women's stories, because I feel that women are often neglected in the telling of history, which is often written by men, about men, for men to read. Back to our U.S. presidents. The, as I said earlier, 31 pages devoted to Warren Harding. How many children did he have out of wedlock with his mistresses? Um, there are reports of, of a couple uh, early in his marriage to Florence in the 1890s. The, the one that got the most press however, um, was with a young woman named Nan Britton. She was about 20 uh, when their affair began. She'd had a crush on him back in Ohio. They lived on the same street when she was 12 years old. And he was 30 years older. Um, so he was a U.S. senator, and she asked him to help her find uh, a job. Her father had died, and, and Harding had been friends with the father, so he, he found her a job, and they, they had an affair, and they're making love in, in his office in the Capitol, and she gets pregnant, and uh, he supports her, sort of handing her money, and then he drops dead in 1923. Um, and uh, Nan went to the family and said, look, I have this baby, I, you know, it's, it's Harding's daughter, I can't support her. Can you help me financially? And they said, absolutely not. It's, you know, it's not, 
uh, his child. You've probably been sleeping around. Uh, and so Nan goes out and self-publishes uh, a book called The President's Daughter. It came out in 1927. It was a bestseller. And she made a fortune, and that's how she was able to support her daughter. And then the, the uh, latest story is about five years ago, there was a DNA test done on uh, Nan's grandson and Warren Harding's great nephew, and it, it matched. So clearly the child was Harding's. You also talk about uh, the affair, long-term affair with Carrie Phillips back in Marion, Ohio. But the point that I wanted to ask you about was that he apparently started having an affair with her when his wife was in the hospital with kidney problems. Yeah, yeah. Warren couldn't help himself. He uh, he actually told the um, the National Press Club that it's a good thing he wasn't a woman because he'd, he'd be always pregnant. He just couldn't say no to sex. And he was, you know, he, he was actually a nice guy. He he was honest. He he wasn't corrupt. He he just wanted everybody to be happy. But he couldn't turn down women. And there was something about Warren Harding. I don't know if it was pheromones or what, but it, women would follow him around like howling cats in heat. And the, and these weren't you know women of light repute. They were society hostesses, respectable married women teenagers, everybody wanted to have sex with Warren Harding, and, and he usually complied. You, you say in your book that John F. Kennedy was a three-whore-a-day, he, he had a three-whore-a-day habit. Explain that one. <laughs> uh, I think there was something wrong with him, either physiologically, psychologically, he just would drop his trousers and, and have sex with several different women a day. He seemed to truly uh, need it. When he was campaigning, his advisors had women lined up when the, the plane would land, and there'd be three, four, five hookers standing there, and JFK would, uh, would pick. Usually he'd pick two of them. And... Um, as Angie Dickinson, the, the uh, actress, reportedly said about him, he wasn't very in good in bed. It was the best 60 seconds of her life, she said, having sex with, with JFK. So, yeah, and he had these women in, in the White House. Jackie knew about it, and she would take the kids and, and leave very often. Um, she had a place in the Hunt Country in Virginia she'd retire to. And these women would show up uh, at the White House, uh, for sex with the president, um, it was dangerous because the Secret Service couldn't vet them. You know, they didn't know what they were going to be doing up there. Maybe they could kill the president. The weird thing about it was that JFK would not instruct the White House staff to change the sheets once he was finished. And he would always have sex with these women, not in his bedroom suite, but in his wife's. So he, they would have to pick hairs and bobby pins off of of uh, Jackie's sheets and one night she uh, goes into bed reaches under the pillow and pulls out a pair of women's panties and she looks at her husband and says would you please shop these around they're not my size <laughs> you name lots of people in that chapter Angie Dickinson as you said Judith Campbell Exner Marilyn Monroe uh, Mimi Beardsley Marlena Dietrich 
Jane Mansfield, Pamela Turner, and uh, Mary Meyer. Uh, there's a story behind all of those. But why, after all the years, did Mimi Beardsley write her book a couple of years ago and be so precise about her relationship at age 18 with the president? I'm not certain why she waited so long. Most of these stories tumbled out after Watergate, uh, when suddenly it was okay to um, discuss the seamier side of a, of a president's life. Um, Judith Exner wrote her, Judith Campbell Exner wrote her uh, autobiography and uh, many others. And Mimi waited. Um, maybe she just wanted to get the story out while she st- still could. Her story is a very tragic one, I think. She was a, a fresh-faced uh, 18-year-old intern in the White House press office in 1962. And uh, the president invited her up to the private residence in the White House for drinks with some of the other staff. And then he asked her, would you like me to give you a, a tour of, of the rooms? And she was just so starstruck. She just struck. She said, sure. So he takes her into Jackie's bedroom, pushes her down on the bed, and has sex with her. And she... Um, she didn't call it rape in her book because she said she didn't try to stop it, but she was just so shocked. Here was the most powerful man in the world doing this to her. She she didn't uh, make a move to stop it. But she did. he sent her home in a cab, and she went home sort of sad that she wouldn't be a virgin on her wedding night. Anyway, it was the beginning of, a, of an affair, and it, it lasted uh, about a year. Why did the media uh, not cover any of his dalliances they they were just instructed not to the reporters you know they 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 would see things you know they they saw him uh, in a hotel room with uh, angie dickinson i think angie was on the bed they saw uh, marilyn monroe being escorted with the secret service by the secret service up to a suite in in new york and a lot of times the reporters said look you know let's break the story and the editor said absolutely not I, it was still pre-watergate i think that kind of thing was frowned upon it was also the cold war um, it might have been looked upon as a kind of treason to to publish something like that with, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Berlin Wall and everything going on that they didn't want to tarnish the reputation of the U.S. president at that time. You write that Jack Kennedy's reputation started to crack in 1975 when they had the CIA investigative hearings with Frank Church of Idaho uh, mm-hmm. Looking into, among other things, Sam Giancana uh, and uh, his, um, you know, whether or not he was the fellow who tried to assassinate Fidel Castro. Uh, <clears throat> give us the background on that and his girlfriend, Judith Campbell Exner. Yes. Yeah, so JFK had had an affair for a couple of years, though the, the timeline is, is disputed, with a beautiful woman named Judith Campbell, later Judith Campbell Exner, and she had uh, black hair and bright blue eyes. She looked a little bit like Elizabeth Taylor, a gorgeous figure, um, and she was at simultaneously the mistress of Sam Giancana, who was the Chicago mob boss who had taken over from, uh, from Al Capone. So there was clearly um, the uh, danger of blackmail. 
Uh, and J. Edgar Hoover, the longtime FBI director, um, you know, told JFK that he, he really has to stop seeing uh, Judith, but uh, but apparently he did not. She claims they continued the affair another nine or ten months once JFK uh, learned of her relationship with Giancana. But it's you know it's typical of these guys who have something called hubris syndrome, which is a psychological uh, disorder that manifests when someone suddenly has great power. They become reckless, restless, they don't listen to anybody, and they often end up shooting themselves in the foot. You actually break it down into four categories uh, about why men who seek higher office uh, suffer from these syndromes, including, as you said, the hubris syndrome, bipolar disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and uh, then a superfluity of testosterone. (laughs) Why is it? that uh, some people who seek these offices have all of those things, or some of them? Yeah, you know, I think it's a certain personality who thinks he would make an outstanding president of the United States and actually want that job. In my mind, I feel like you have to be sort of crazy to even think that and and go for it, right? Like, who who would want that? Um, So I think that the same compulsions, the the ego, the the narcissism that send a man hurtling uh, after the the White House would also send him hurtling into the arms of of a woman, not his wife. I think there's a a connection there. How did you know uh, when to trust the sources for your book? Oh, well... If you read just about everything you can get your hands on and then you kind of sit back and think about it, I, I think historians can can make a call. You know, what, what makes sense, really? Richard Nixon, a mistress? Uh, apparently there is a story that he had a Hong Kong uh, cocktail hostess as a mistress and he ended up getting her uh, U.S. citizenship. The Whatever his relationship with her, the FBI was concerned. This was before he was uh, president. Um, but they, they were concerned enough to try to intervene and, and, and stop it. But that, that's the only story I, I found uh, about Richard Nixon. Was there? Did I read in your book that, the, that Roger Stone might have been responsible for reporting that in one of his books? Oh, I don't think so. I saw a reference to it somewhere. It may not have been in your book. Um, okay. Wh- um, why write about sex and all these different leaders in the world? Where, where did you get the interest in doing this? Well, you know, I, some of my uh, readers have asked me, am I a sex maniac? Because I've done sex with kings and sex with the queen and sex with presidents. And it's, I don't think I'm a sex maniac, but... Um, I'm just interested in human nature, Brian, and I'd like to know why people do the things they do, why they think it's a good idea often to do something that's just going against, you know, everything they should be doing in their own um, self-interests. And I have found that there are various lenses I can look through to examine um, human nature. 
one of them is sex, another is power. The confluence of the two is often very interesting because it seems to heat everything up. It, it, it rises to a rapid boil. You know, it's, it's much more interesting when you're the king having these issues or you're the president. And I also think the word sex in a book title is, is fun and probably will get some interest. What impact did it have on you that the book came out during COVID? Um, yeah, the impact was that I didn't get to do any speaking engagements or go to any TV studios or all of the fun things I normally do when a, a book comes out, you know, and do book signings. I love so much meeting my readers and, you know, posing for pictures with them and signing their books and shaking their hands. And, and I didn't get to do that this time. So, you know, my butt has been in the same chair it's been in the past couple of years doing uh, Zoom book events, and they were fun. Um, one thing I like about them is that a lot of people who ordinarily couldn't have seen me at um, a, a real event in a bookstore um, were able to, you know, to tune into Zoom. So I had some really good audiences, but I do, I do miss being on the, the circuit and. I hope for my next book, uh, which won't be coming out for a year and a half, that, um, you know, I, I'll be back meeting people in person. How does it all um, during this time affect sales? Oh, uh, from what I understand, publishers are doing very well. Uh, people are reading more than ever. They're doing audiobooks when they are uh, walking. Um, uh, you know, they, they can't, since we can't run around as much as we used to, there, there's actually, um, more time for reading. And as they said, pe more and more people are going to Zoom book events. Um, they were telling me, uh, events which normally might get, you know, 200 people in a physical room. Suddenly they're getting a thousand people, 2000 people, you know, watching on YouTube or, or on Zoom. So I, I think it's actually, and surprisingly, going quite well for the publishing industry. You devote 17 pages to Gary Hart. He wasn't a president. How did he get in your book? Well, he, he, um, he had a sex scandal that was uh, very important for presidents, and he was a presidential hopeful. Uh, he was seen as uh, going to be the Democratic candidate in 19. 88. He, he had a great reputation and a wonderful career, and he was Kennedy handsome and well-spoken and charming. And so um, he just shot himself in the foot uh, with a, a model named Donna Rice. And this was after he had uh, told reporters who had been asking about, you know, some allegations of adulterous affairs. Well, you know, if it, it's not true. Why don't you just follow me around? These are lies. And, and you know, then they followed him around and they, they did find that uh, he was indeed entertaining uh, a blonde. Uh, and I think also it was a lesson for how not to handle it because he just denied it. Like there's all of the the facts there, you know, and it's it's clear that he, he was spending the weekend in his townhouse uh, with Donna Rice, and he just denied it. Um, I imagine he felt it was nobody's business, so he was perfectly justified in, in lying about it. But um, the American people did not like being lied to. 
Uh, surveys at the time said they don't really care about his an affair, his affair, but they they really didn't like his his lying and his you know pontificating about it. So um, there was a, another young and hopeful politician named Bill Clinton who was also going to run in 1988. And we, when he saw what happened to Gary Hart, he realized he better withdraw from the race and clean up his act. Uh, get a, a statement prepared for how he's going to deal with the, the same issue and run in 1992. As you know, during Bill Clinton's run for the presidency, there was a lot of publicity about his association with many different women. He won, and he won again. Why didn't? And he was impeached, and none of this seemed to have any impact. So I just ask you a broader question. Does any of this matter to the public about sex with presidents? And why did Bill Clinton uh, leave, uh, you know, the presidency very popular? Um, It's an interesting question, and it's one that took me back all the way to Alexander Hamilton, the first U.S. Secretary of the Treasury. That was the first uh, U.S. political sex scandal. So I I covered that, though he, too, was not uh, a president. And, And when it came out that he'd been having an affair with this this um, blackmailing prostitute, and there were also allegations of financial corruption. He wrote a hundred-page pamphlet explaining everything. Yes, he'd been sexually unfaithful. No, he was not financially corrupt. Um, When you look at Grover Cleveland, he never denied that he had raped this woman. I I think that it's um, the, the American people really have never cared that much about politicians' sex lives, they they really hadn't, and I and they still don't. Um, they didn't like Gary Hart so much, I think, because of the way he handled it. If he had just admitted it, said he needs to work on his marriage, apologized to his wife and the American people, I, I frankly think he he could have run. And you're right, people didn't care about uh, Bill Clinton. They uh, they didn't even care about Donald Trump and the allegations of, uh, of rape and walking into the, the, the beauty pageant uh, changing room to see 15-year-olds changing into their swimsuits and really creepy things like that, right? I think Trump supporters care more about immigration and abortion and, and other things that are more uh, important to them. Which wife of the presidents you wrote about in their affairs cared uh, about their husbands having these relationships? I imagine they all did, Brian. Uh, You know, it must be hurtful. I know that um, Florence Harding (laughs) tried to physically keep him in the White House. She she shocked the staff, many of whom wrote their own autobiographies after Watergate, you know, recalling all of these stories. Um, She'd be standing on the White House stairs in the main atrium and say, Warren, you're not leaving this White House tonight. And he would run out the front door with his Secret Service agent into a, a car and go to a, a house of, of ill repute. I, I know it, it really hurt her. And it also really hurt Jackie Kennedy. You know, she she was so depressed, she ended up um, getting on prescription drugs, Valium, and, and different things like that, just to try to... Uh, to numb the pain. You suggest that uh, Jackie Kennedy either had an affair or relationship with Yanni Agnelli, the fiat man, uh, the Italian, and also mm-hmm. uh, before she married him, um, Onassis. Yes, that is the, the story about uh, Johnny Agnelli. 
Um, and I think it's pretty clear that she she did have one with Onassis, which I'd never heard of until I went into this this research. But Onassis had been dating uh, her sister, and uh, she uh, goes on this Mediterranean cruise with them, and and she ends up uh, having a relationship with Onassis, who uh, bought her a ruby necklace worth I think something like six hundred thousand dollars in today's money and uh this this got into the press and people were actually protesting where is our first lady she needs to be here uh and and finally jfk prevailed upon her to come home i I think she would periodically do things like this not show up at white house you events um mrs johnson lady bird often filled in for jackie because i think it was a form of a protest about you know, her husband's three-four-a-day habit. Mamie Eisenhower and her husband had to deal with somebody named Kay Summersby. How much yes. did she know about Kay Summersby, and what was her reaction? So the background to this story is when Dwight Eisenhower uh, was uh, one of the top generals in, in Europe during World War Two, uh, he was first based in London, and uh, he had a, a London driver. The, they had taken down all of the street signs in case the Nazis landed, they would get lost. So they needed drivers uh, who knew every single street in, in London. And uh, Kay was a lovely 33-year-old uh, divorcee, and um, she soon became more than just his driver. She became an aide, a secretary. Um, and uh, they were photographed in Time Magazine and all of these different publications, and Mamie's back in D.C., and she sees this lovely young woman always with her husband, so she was aware of it, and she she was distressed, and there were some letters back and forth. Um, at the time, Kay was uh, engaged to uh, an American Army officer, and um, that's what Dwight told Mamie. Look, she's going to be married soon. But then the army officer stepped on a landmine and blew himself to bits. And it was at that point that um, Eisenhower and Kay Summersby realized that they had actually been in love all this time. They were working together 18 hours a day to try to save the world from um, the evils of, of Nazi Germany. So it's not surprising um, and they actually, according to Kay, and I have no reason to disbelieve her, they tried to have sex uh, twice, but he was unable to uh, to achieve an erection, and that was the end of that. You say that uh, in the FDR White House, uh, Mrs. Roosevelt was having affairs. Yes. Um, you know, she... Uh, she and FDR were very ill-suited. Um, they should never have gotten married, in, in hindsight. Um, she did not like sex, at least not with, with men. Um, and she was a very serious person, and as time went on, she became less and less feminine. And FDR just wanted you know, a very feminine, frilly, smiling uh, feminine woman, and um, so he began having an affair with uh, uh, his wife's social secretary, and uh, Lucy uh, Mercer Rutherford would actually be with him at the when he had his fatal stroke in 1945. So it was a lifelong 
uh, love affair. Eleanor, for her part, you know, she she went out and forged her own remarkable path in life. And along the way, she did have an affair with a, a top journalist from the Associated Press named Lorena Hickok, called Hick. And it lasted um, maybe a couple of years, and then um, Eleanor just was so busy at, at First Lady, taking on so many roles and helping so many others that it ended, but they always stayed very close, and Eleanor made sure that um, Hick was always taken care of the rest of her life. So who were the presidents that had no scandal whatsoever, no mistresses mm. that anybody knows about? We don't talk much about that, but uh, you must know. Well, I... You know, the uh, the paperback of Sex with Presidents is coming out in September, and HarperCollins has this thing where there's bonus material in the back. It's called the P.S. section, and it's fun because um, the author can write what, whatever they want. So I was trying to decide what am I going to write about. You know, two years researching adultery and rape and lies, it really had taken a bit of an emotional toll on me. So... Um, I decided I would write about the the happiest presidential marriages. Um, so the the Bidens, clearly the uh, Obamas, the Carters. There's a funny story about the Trumans. Um, they were he became president when uh, FDR died in 1945. So he and his wife were in their early 60s. They move into the White House, and one morning. Uh, Best Truman, the first lady, has to shamefacedly tell the chief usher that he needs to replace the slats under their bed. They had broken them. What about John Adams, George W. Bush, James Polk? I read Abe about Lincoln. the uh, John and Abigail Adams. Uh, absolutely. Also, the the Grants. Um, you know, Ulysses S. Grant was this handsome, rugged guy, and he married this woman who was who was cross-eyed and just not attractive physically. But she had this this warmth, this kindness, and radiance. And um, when he became president, she wanted to get a, an operation to uncross her eyes, which is frightening when you think about doing that in eighteen, uh, you know, in the eighteen sixties. Um, and the doctor told her it was too late, and she was so upset. She, she and her husband said, "Julia, I love you so much, just the way you are. Why would you think of, of having this operation on your eyes?" And she said, "I don't want to embarrass you. I, I wish I just looked prettier the way other women do." And he said, "Julia, don't even think about it. These are the eyes that I fell in love with, and if you got them uncrossed, I might not love them half so well." So, so that was a beautiful love story. But for for reasons of space. I, I couldn't go through every single presidential uh, marriage and, and write about it. What's your next book going to be about? Uh, <laughs> I'm having a load of fun with that, Brian. It's called Off With Her Head, 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Politics. And the idea for this book came to me a couple of years ago. I was reading a wonderful uh, 2010 biography of Cleopatra and how the, the Romans systematically destroyed her reputation. And many of the things that they did were very reminiscent of what happened with Hillary Clinton in, in 2016. And I thought, 
wait, how could there be similarities? And then I look back at other women throughout history, um, and it's almost like, I, I call it the misogynist handbook. There are steps and rules and measures to take to bring women down. They're too ambitious, their voices are shrill, they're sexually depraved, they're unlikable, and each one of these issues is a chapter. So I'm having a, a load of fun writing that. Our guest, Eleanor Herman, wrote a number of books on sex, the latest one, Sex with Presidents. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can find Book Notes Plus and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, Q&A will be right back here with new episodes in September.